This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been practicing here in Fayetteville, Arkansas for 25 years. And I decided a couple of years ago that I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to reach people who might already be in therapy or might be very accustomed to talking about psychological issues or dynamics. But I also wanted to reach those of you who may just be starting out on that journey. You may just have been diagnosed with anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, whatever. And I wanted to try to reach you. And then there's a third group that I really wanted to reach, and that just might be the people who would never even really consider darkening the door of a therapist. Maybe they don't like to ask for help, or they think it's weak to go to a therapist. So perhaps they could listen to a podcast and get an idea of what it would really be like instead of making a lot of assumptions. It's not about being weak. It's certainly not about being fragile. It's actually about taking responsibility for what you want and where you want to go in life and simply deciding that it'd be a good idea to ask for help. Today we're going to be talking about bickering. These are fights that are practically scripted. You know what your partner is going to say and they know what you're going to say. In fact, sometimes I have my patients take the other side and see what it feels like to hear their own argument presented to them. This is going to air on a holiday weekend, and the stress of those can really ramp up those arguments. But the good news is that there are a couple of ways to get a grip on this very bad habit. First, you can recognize the patterns that do return over and over again, and we'll talk about some of the most common patterns of those fights. And then there are some guidelines to follow. Very similar to what you can read in a really wonderful book called The Four Agreements. But these are mine to offer today. Our listener email is from someone who's listened to the podcast on shame, but still can't seem to let go of her shame. Why might that be, is what she asks me. So I'm glad you're here. Let's settle down and talk about bickering. You know, we all do it. We fuss, we bicker, we squabble, and we usually do it with the people we supposedly love the most. These are the fights that feel almost scripted because both people say the same thing over and over. You can predict how long it's going to last, and then who does what when it's over. You might clam up for the entire day, continuing to perfect the silent treatment, or you might complain to your best friend or call your mother. That's even worse. These fights don't get physically violent, but they still hurt tremendously. It's kind of like food that was left out too long. This type of bickering spoils what started out as a good day. You're left feeling like your relationship is just stuck and stagnant. What do I hear from people who fight like this? They come in and say, Dr. Margaret, we can't communicate. So first, let's talk about the kinds or the categories of squabbles. We'll do this by naming the themes that are actually underneath the fighting. 
Okay, here's the first common pattern. It's the who's working harder in this relationship fight. I hear this one a lot. This is what it sounds like. Do you even know what I do all day with these kids? And the answer is, yeah, and I get up and go to work every damn day. Here's another example. I haven't had a day off in months. And the answer is, I never get a day off. If this sounds familiar to you, you're in good company. And what is this argument really about? What's underneath fighting about who's working harder? Most of the time, it's because you don't feel any gratitude from your partner or affirmation that you're appreciated. There's a lack of recognition for what each of you contributes to the relationship, and cooperation is missing when one of you gets tired or overwhelmed. This can be especially true for the chores that are repetitive and seemingly never-ending in a relationship, such as weeding, cooking, doing the laundry, going to work. So what you need to do, really, is begin to show more gratitude, more appreciation. That's not hard. That's an easy tweak. You just have to get out of the habit of arguing about who's working harder. Here's the second type. The everything but the kitchen sink fight. And this is what it sounds like. And this is just like last year at your dad's when you forgot me and the kids. And so here's the answer. Quit complaining about it. What's done is done. What do you want me to do? So what are you really fighting about? Both of you have brought up other topics. Both of you have gone beyond the specific example of what hurt you And you've talked more or focused more on a pattern of hurts or a history of hurts. And of course, it turns the argument into, what can I do about what's happened in the past? That's one of the problems with the everything but the kitchen sink fight. So here, effort needs to be made to move beyond hurt feelings for past grievances so that trust can be rebuilt in your relationship. It's trust that is missing. This may mean addressing your own prior actions and expressing remorse to those you've hurt, your partner, whether that hurt is intentional or not. You know, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to hurt you. It's okay. It lets your partner know, well, it was unintentional, but you had some kind of negative impact on them. Or perhaps your own individual struggle is to move past resentments that you've accumulated and held onto for years because they're keeping you angry and unable to forgive and you're walking around with resentment. There's really nothing a partner can do if you're holding on to a lot of resentment. They can do their best in the present to show you that they're trying to change or that they really hear what you're saying and they can see it as a problem too. But they cannot alter the past. As an individual, oftentimes, it's up to you to do that healing. And sometimes that's about the fact that whatever hurt occurred, it's triggering something from your past. Okay, here's the third fight. This is one of my favorites. The, if you just be more like me fight. (laughs) Now, People don't always say, if you were more like me, things would go better in this relationship, but most of us have some secret thoughts that that's true. What does it sound like? 
when I'm with the kids, this doesn't happen. Or, I don't see why you have to take all that time to do the simplest of things. Whoa, there's a lot of contempt there, right? There's a lot of judgment and even ridicule. In fact, Dr. John Gottman, who does excellent research on couples, he and his wife, Julie, actually, tell us that contempt is the number one communication quality that kills a relationship. It greatly enhances the chance that divorce will occur. So you have to honor the differences between you and acknowledge each other's strengths. That's what's vital. You recognize that each one of you brings something special and important to the relationship and that those very differences can help each of you grow as individuals. You really probably don't want to be married to someone just like you or partnered with them. It's not exactly a great idea when you come to think of it realistically. Here's the fourth fight. The you're wrong and I'm right fight, or who's wrong and who's right. Here's what this sounds like. That's not what happened. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know, the kids see it too. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I frankly tell people who are having this fight all the time that the likelihood of them getting divorced is really high. Because in this fight, no one really wins. If you're right all the time or you prove you're right all the time, you're going to be really lonely. And if you're proven wrong all the time, you get more and more resentful and more and more sad. Or you want to fight an even more bitter fight the next time so that this time you can be right. This is about contempt again, mixed in with needing control and some utter discounting of your partner's perceptions. People bring in the kids or their parents or their friends as witnesses. I'm not the only one who thinks this is a problem, right? That's a bad idea all around. Unless you're doing a true intervention of some kind. Think about it for a second. Let's say you and your partner fix the relationship. Y'all are better. And now you've brought in these friends or your parents to fight the fight for you or with you, and the fight's over, but now they're involved and it can taint their relationship with your partner or actually with you. You know, several things can be underneath a desire to always be right. It could be a need to feel superior, which really often is an attempt to hide insecurity. Perhaps it's defensiveness that is covering up hurt or perfectionism that is out of control. It's also possible that there's anger about other things that are not being discussed, but are in the background, causing resentment that needs an outlet. And as I said a few minutes ago, this particular fight is very lonely to win and even lonelier to lose. And our last pattern of fighting is called, it sounds like I'm talking about you, but I'm really blaming you fight. Now, I actually found this one kind of hard to understand myself. I learned about it recently from my friend, Dr. Dina Hijazi, and it's termed the U-turn by famous therapist Pia Medley, and it sounds like this. So listen carefully. I feel that you're picking a fight with me when you complain about my mother, or I feel that you really don't care if I come home or not. So you start out with a feeling statement. It sounds like you're doing something you're supposed to do. 
You're talking about you. But you're not really talking about you. You're angrily telling the other person what you're telling yourself about them. You are blaming them for how you feel. For example, let's take the first one where she said, or he said, I feel that you are picking a fight with me when you complain about my mother. What would be a healthier version? So, it's hard for me not to become angry when you talk about my mom. I love her and I love you, so I feel caught up between the two of you. You hear the difference? You're talking about yourself and you're admitting you're angry. You're not telling the other person that you think they're picking a fight with you. You admit and reveal your own anger and the fact that you feel caught. Here's the second example we used. I feel that you really don't care if I come home or not. Okay, so another way of saying that, a healthier way, is I'm trying to figure out why I'm feeling so shaky these days about our relationship and really about myself. And then you could add, sometimes I tell myself that you don't want me to come home. So you're revealing. It's a much, much more vulnerable place to come from. And of course, that makes it more difficult. Vulnerability is a lot more difficult than blame. So what do you do if you frequently have one of these types of fights with your partner? Here are five tips. First, realize these fights will go nowhere and they'll only chip away at the health of your relationship. Two, you have to stop focusing on the other person and control your own words. Take responsibility for your own role in the bickering. We can say some really mean things to each other, but if our language is kind, if we're careful, like we are with most other people, then things go much better. Here's the third idea. Recognize that you're really arguing about what's underneath. As we talked about, it could be trust, it could be control, it could be vulnerability, lack of gratitude, empathy, or loneliness. Realize what you're really fighting about. I'll never forget when we were standing in the kitchen one time many, many years ago, and my husband is not very psychologically oriented, and we were bickering about something, and he looked at me and said, what are we really fighting about? And I I had to smile because I thought, oh my gosh, he gets it. (laughs) I hear about arguments all the time, and the couple will start out by saying, I don't know why we were fighting about this, but, and I'll hear about some fight about whether you leave towels on the floor and pick them up there or hang them up, or I'll hear fights about the way the dishwasher is loaded. And it's not about towels or the dishwasher. So here's the fourth tip. Talk about those things when you aren't angry, the very things you're trying to talk about. Risk being vulnerable and express what you're truly feeling. And don't be afraid to ask for your partner's help. So wait until you aren't angry. Here's the fifth idea. It can be fun to do an exercise with your partner and, as I do with my own patients sometimes, swap perspectives. You argue your partner's viewpoint while they argue yours. Perhaps you can even gain a deeper understanding, not only of where they're coming from, but what you sound like. There is some good news here. The good news is I would rather have two people in my office bickering than two people who don't care enough anymore to fight. Your relationship still has passion and intensity, and those two things can be channeled into healthier directions. 
listener email today is from someone who's been listening intently to the podcasts about shame, but is still struggling to change. Here's her email. I've previously written to you with a question which you replied to and featured on your podcast. I very much appreciated your response and was able to contact my therapist to discuss further. You'll be pleased to know I've continued to work hard and have managed a lot of healing in some areas. And that does please me a lot. But it's a year or so down the line and I'm still suffering with the effects of shame, or she calls it toxic shame. I've listened to podcasts 9, 36, and 91 that are all about shame. And I've also read books on it, including the ones you've recommended. My problem is not understanding toxic shame, but is healing from it. While I understand why I feel the way I do, I just can't seem to overcome the crippling shame, especially when I try and talk through my trauma with my amazingly patient therapist. So, do you think a person can ever heal totally from toxic shame? I try to have a compassion for myself and know that I'm not to blame for any of this, but something inside just won't let me stop feeling this awful shame. Thanks very much for your time and continued support. So, here's what came to mind. Hello. I would wonder what function holding on to your shame has in your life. What I mean by that is, how is the shame serving you in a way? For example, does it help you feel more humble? Does it keep you from getting angry? Does it somehow offer a sense of value? Perhaps there was someone in your past who never took responsibility for mistakes, and you're determined to not be like them. Does it keep you tied to the past, and somehow that's important to you? One patient said to me, If I let go of my shame, then it'll be like I'm letting myself off the hook. I don't want to do that. But unfortunately, shame also drags you out of the present and keeps you in the past. It's not the same as letting yourself off the hook. It's deciding that you don't have to punish yourself day after day after day for something from the past. I hope this makes sense because I know that so many people struggle with shame and truly letting go of it. We've talked ourselves into believing it's our conscience And that's simply not the same. I'm so honored that you chose to listen to Self Work today, and I hope you're enjoying other podcast episodes as well. You can email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com, which is a confidential email. I'm the only one who sees it. And let me know what kinds of things you'd like for me to talk about. I've had some people write in that say they would like to hear a podcast about work stress. So I'm trying to work that one around in my head of what I might have to offer on that topic. But I would love to hear from you. It also lets me know who you are and why you listen. And that's always helpful for me to guide the kinds of content I do provide. I do have a website at drmargaretrutherford.com. And you can subscribe there and get a weekly newsletter that will hold both my weekly blog post and my podcast. That's it. Maybe a holiday greeting, but I promise no other mailings. There's another way to reach out to me and be involved. I have a new Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're up to 400 people. 
of very diverse backgrounds from all over the world. And you can come and listen in, you can come and comment, but we do all have our own wisdom. And the whole point of the group is to learn from one another. So facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Love to have you there. I'm also on Pinterest and Instagram at Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I always love to see what people share on their Pinterest and Instagram account. So please feel free to join me over there. My Instagram account is a little more personal. I'll put actual pictures of food I eat and stuff like that. I don't know why people are interested in that, but I don't know. It's a challenge sometimes. Also, please leave ratings and reviews, especially on iTunes or wherever you listen, because that really motivates me, especially the written reviews motivate me because I know that you are waiting for the next episode and looking forward to it. So thank you for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work. <laughs>